This is a podcast from Cambridge Assessment. For more downloads, visit cambridgeassessment.org.uk. It's great to be here, and um, this is the first uh, conference I've spoken to since leaving government, so I feel I should be saying something more controversial probably than I uh, I actually will. Um, I I wanted to start, um, it's an interesting day, isn't it, to be talking about this on a day when uh, a rather dramatic change to the performance tables has just been uh, announced, and um, uh, I'll come back to that in a, in a moment. I thought it'd be worth just, though, starting with a little bit of history, and um, I've called this an indefensibly brief and partial summary of the history of this area of policy because, uh, because that's what it is, um, and, but I think it's just worth thinking about it in this sort of way. I think we started post-war with a system which was essentially a low-accountability, high-trust system of uh, curriculum and qualification development. Uh, Post-war, universities were very firmly in the driving seat. Uh, The setting of qualifications was a matter in which uh, government took very little uh, interest. Qualifications were set for a very small minority of children uh, at 16 and an even smaller minority at 18, of whom a small proportion uh, or a proportion went on Uh, than to study in university. And uh, it's worth reminding ourselves of what it was like having uh, a high-trust, low-accountability system because occasionally people talk about it uh, as if it would be good to go back to a system which had high-trust and low-accountability. Actually, this was a system which served the overwhelming majority of children very poorly indeed. Uh, Most children left school with no educational qualifications whatsoever, which uh, we got away with as a country in some respects, in that there was a plentiful supply of low-skill employment, but in many other respects we didn't get away with at all, as can be seen from uh, the decline of many uh, industries in this country. I think we moved then uh, to a period of uh, low accountability and low trust in the system Uh, During the period of the 60s and the 70s in particular, uh, increasing curriculum innovation, a much greater recognition that more uh, children needed to come out of school with qualifications which uh, were recognisable, a great deal of curricular innovation around that, the development of Mode 3 CSE as one uh, particular example of Uh, that sort of practice, the fact that there was the raising of the school leaving age uh, in uh, 1972, driving much greater uh, demand for uh, qualifications for a much higher proportion of young people at uh, the age of 16, but increasing mistrust in the system, uh, the black papers, the period leading up to the Ruskin College speech, the period through uh, the 1980s where uh, government made more and more noise about uh, taking uh, some control of the so-called secret garden of the uh, curriculum whilst doing actually not very much uh, practically about it. And then a moment of serious discontinuity in 1988 with the Education Reform Act. Um, government sprung into action in the most muscular way imaginable, uh, moving from uh, taking very little interest or responsibility for what uh, was to be found in the curriculum uh, to taking very little account of what anybody else thought uh, of what was in the curriculum uh, and implementing dramatic change very quickly. Uh, From that point onwards, the increasing development of uh, strong accountability measures, SATs, Ofsted, League Tables and 
uh, other things, which unquestionably drove significant change uh, in the system and, uh, uh, and also uh, raised uh, the profile of education as a public area of public policy, dramatically changed people's understanding of the role of government in relation to uh, education and created a settlement which, to some extent, uh, we still have with us uh, today. Um, and occasionally people talk as if what we ought to do is move to a system of high trust and low accountability, free schools, uh, free the teachers, uh, give uh, control of curriculum and assessment back to uh, awarding bodies. Actually, I think that's the wrong direction to go. I think the question we should be asking ourselves is not how do we get rid of accountability, uh, but how do we retain high levels of accountability, uh, but develop greater trust in the system so that some of the perverse effects of uh, the current accountability system are uh, reduced. And that, to me, seems to be uh, the challenge. I, th I think we should welcome accountability, not as a necessary evil, but as a wholly desirable good in the system. It is a good thing to be accountable for what uh, we all do. It is a good thing to be accountable in relation to what children actually achieve. That is, after all, the purpose of uh, an education system. But even if you don't accept uh, any of that, I think we should all accept that there is no uh, closing of the Pandora's box. Once you have a process of getting data and information out into the public domain, uh, you can't row back from that, and you will not build greater trust in the system by trying to hide information uh, from uh, the public. So it seems to me the question for schools is, well, how best do you respond to that? And for a very large number of schools, particularly those close to the floor targets or close to what will be the floor targets in uh, future years, it's the floor targets which are the driver of uh, uh, behavior in schools, overwhelmingly the floor targets which drive behavior in schools. We've had some reference to that in the, uh, in the earlier debate, and I agree that there has been a very significant rise in the last five to ten years of tactical means of uh, uh, driving up uh, performance against that 5A star to C, including English and maths uh, measure. There's no question about that. And if you visit uh, schools all over the country, you'll find a range of practices which 10 to 15 years ago you did not find uh, in uh, schools. You see much greater use of early entry, certainly. You see much greater... Uh, focus on people who are at the borderlines in English and maths, with a particular focus on what's increasingly called the marriage of English and maths, who's close in English uh, but missing in uh, maths, who's on track in maths but not in English, and all the rest of it. That is a, uh, an absolutely ubiquitous uh, focus of practice. More people introducing the new Key Stage 3 uh, since uh, Key Stage 3 tests were uh, abolished, having a two-year Key Stage 3 and a three-year Key Stage 4. Lots of people uh, experimenting with practices like uh, doing intensive uh, GCSE in year nine uh, with uh, five hours a week of GCSE study leading up to uh, the taking of GCSE at the end of uh, year nine, people doing the same in year 10 and the same in year 11 so that children are banking GCSEs year by year as uh, they go. And um, that increasing use of tactics um, is just one way in which uh, assessment uh, really is uh, driving uh, behavior in schools. And the question of how do you put learning first uh, in uh, a context where uh, you are feeling under the cosh uh, to raise your performance is a really important uh, question. 
I think it's important, though, to realise and recognise that having some tactics to raise achievement is not inherently a bad thing. It makes a difference to those kids <laughs> if they come out with decent qualifications as opposed to uh, not coming out with qualifications. But I think we have to start asking ourselves in schools, uh, and this applies actually not just to hard-pressed schools in challenging circumstances, but right across uh, the system. What is our underpinning strategic aim and objective? What is our strategy for achieving that? And how do we make sure that the tactics are in the service of that? And I think that the tactical approaches I see in schools fall into broadly three categories. The first is the merely tactical, the things that do not really benefit children, uh, but do benefit uh, league table performance, are put into that category the practice of re repeatedly rehearsing key stage two tests again and again and again for weeks at a time and then not doing any, any English and maths after the end of the SATS tests. I would put into that category uh, entering a whole cohort for BTEC science when we know perfectly well on the basis of all the data that even able scientists doing BTEC science cannot progress to succeeding at A-level if that's the uh, preparation uh, that they have had. These are things which do not benefit children, uh, but do benefit uh, schools uh, in terms of their league table position. Secondly, uh, there are those things which are done for motivational reasons. There are things which are not necessarily of themselves beneficial uh, to students, but do raise their motivation uh, in order to do other things to engage better with schools. And finally, there are those things which do have advantage to schools in relation to the league tables and which uh, benefit students in terms of their uh, progression. And I think uh, that there's a great deal of thinking about those things in very many of our schools at the moment. And thinking about your science curriculum in terms of who can achieve three sciences and triple science and pushing as many to do that as possible, which children uh, may not be able to succeed there but could succeed in two sciences and putting as many of those who aren't doing three into that route and thinking about uh, other curriculum choices for those young people for whom science uh, is a struggle but who can achieve more by being put onto uh, some uh, different program. And that's just one example of uh, how getting the tactics right and uh, putting it in the service of students and their progression is an incredibly important thing uh, to get right. I think that uh, for schools there is a real risk that they feel that they are prisoners of some of these tactical approaches which have become uh, widespread uh, practice and uh, there is a need to think much more uh, long term about the options that uh, they are presenting children uh, with and I'll come in a moment to implications for uh, other people. There is no doubt that for some schools, uh, if their intake has very weak literacy and numeracy, there is a big challenge. And if you believe that every child can achieve and succeed, there's no doubt that uh, you have a bigger challenge if your school's intake is of that sort than uh, for, for many other schools. Uh, I feel that there is a risk in the system at the moment that two people are relying on a year 11 charge and not enough people are um, uh, focusing from year seven onwards on how do we raise basic underpinning uh, levels of literacy and numeracy. 
We need to have a system in which people feel rewarded for uh, deep learning, authentic teaching of subjects, a focus on those vocational uh, qualifications which are rigorous and demanding and uh, not on uh, those which are uh, worth a lot in league tables but actually don't take children very far at all. I think actually today's announcement goes a very long way in the right uh, direction in terms of rebalancing the incentives for vocational qualifications. It is right, actually, I think, uh, that most of these qualifications count as one. They are taught in the vast majority of schools in one option block. Uh, it is right that there should be external assessment in these qualifications. It is right that they should be tested against uh, measures of the progression of students who succeed in those uh, qualifications. And it seems to me that the list that's come out of the department uh, is pretty close to uh, being about the right list of uh, qualifications. I don't know what debate there's been about that uh, during uh, today. There is no doubt that for... Uh, schools, uh, there's a challenge here, uh, particularly those schools which feel very hard-pressed uh, to shift uh, their practice. I think there's quite a deep challenge to awarding bodies as well, uh, which is actually uh, qualifications have been very seriously complicit in uh, promoting some of what has uh, happened in uh, recent years. And I think in some quite um, technically complex ways, uh, I think that there has been too much of a grip of assessment theory on uh, the design of qualifications and less uh, uh, thought about educational underpinnings. I think that a great deal of what has been done uh, to boost reliability has actually uh, had the risk of undermining uh, validity, and you can't have quite clearly a reliable qualification which is not valid. Uh, so this is self-defeating if you get to the stage of having uh, qualifications which reliably assess the wrong thing. Uh, that is not helpful to anyone. So it seems to me that awarding bodies need to be a serious part of breaking out of the current uh, situation. We need to have qualifications which do a better job of sampling from a whole subject domain are less driven by assessing 100% of the specification in every round of uh, qualifications, which do uh, continue to put uh, conceptual depth above procedural accuracy. I actually did, because people, talk, people have started talking about older O-levels. Uh, before I left the department, I sat down and did uh, an old O-level maths uh, from the 1970s, an O-level which was in place before the introduction of GCSEs, one of the early GCSEs, and the current uh, GCSE, in order to try and satisfy myself as to what was uh, going on. And you may uh, rightly say that's not a very scientific way of, uh, uh, of satisfying yourself about anything very much. But what it seemed to me is uh, the old O-levels very rigorously, the older O-levels in particular, in particular, very rigorously assessed narrow procedural competence in mathematics. And uh, that's not a foolish thing to do, uh, though it's an increasingly less important thing to do in an, area, in, in an age when everybody has electronic uh, calculators. They did not assess in as much depth as current GCSEs uh, the conceptual uh, aspects of uh, mathematics. And so I think we do have a sort of baby and bathwater uh, situation here. A, a call to revert to old O-level, I think, is insufficient 
Uh, it is right to say there must be rigor, there must be depth, there must be proper subject teaching. That is absolutely uh, as it should be. Uh, but we do need to think about a curriculum uh, and an assessment of the curriculum which recognizes changes that have happened as well as expecting very high standards uh, of uh, subject uh, understanding. I think awarding bodies must stop the way that they currently market their qualifications. If you go around saying to schools, this is a more accessible specification, you are promoting a culture in which uh, it is seen to be either desirable or acceptable uh, to say to schools, do this because it's easier. Even if you do not use those words, that is what schools are hearing. Uh, and it's not right, and it should stop. And awarding bodies should stop uh, trying to put into the regulator a specification which just barely meets the specification uh, requirements and start priding themselves on the depth and quality of their uh, assessments and look to exceed the requirements of the regulator. And I think I'm calling here from schools and from uh, awarding bodies for some moral courage here. You are not prisoners of the accountability system, uh, nor are you prisoners of the incentive structure in which you work. You can make choices uh, here, and I think it's important that every actor in the system does. And that's not to spare uh, policymakers from all of uh, that as well. I think it's right to say uh, that we do need to think hard about how at the next stage of its development we make sure that uh, those people who are courageously acting to promote deep learning uh, and making sure that they're successful in the accountability system because they're doing the right thing for children and young people, how to make sure that we really genuinely uh, reward those people better. I don't think that those who call for uh, a move away from uh, performance measures based on the success of children and young people uh, are right. That cannot be the way uh, to raise achievement and performance in uh, the system. But I do think some of the changes from today about performance table equivalences will absolutely uh, help to get this right. I think it's important that there is a really clear content specification for every GCSE. I think it was a mistake to move away from having uh, content specifications for GCSEs uh, uh, outside the core uh, subjects. I think we should try to make sure that awarding bodies are regulated in ways which promote bar-raising activity and don't reward people uh, who just put in a barely adequate uh, specification. I think awarding bodies have become a bit too reliant on a process of iteration between the regulator and themselves uh, to get their qualifications above the line. I think it's possible to conceive of a system where the answer to an inadequate specification is just no and come back next year uh, rather than uh, a long period of uh, iteration. I think that would change the incentive structure on awarding bodies overnight. I think we're right to start emphasizing progression measures. I think progression within school and progression beyond school are fundamentally important uh, things, and we should look at the ways in which in, uh, accountability measures can absolutely genuinely uh, put those top of the list. Maybe our floor targets should have something to do uh, with the progression of children through a school and not just uh, focus quite so much on absolute attainment. And government policy must continue to 
give serious attention and priority to teaching and learning. Whoever it was who said uh, having a great teacher is the most important thing is absolutely right, of course, uh, about that. In 2013 and again in 2015, uh, the participation age will get raised in education uh, for the first time since 1972, uh, two generations where nothing similar has happened. It is and ought to be seen as a paradigm shift in our education system. We are saying that every young person should be in some form of education or training until at least the age of 18. Uh, that does give us an opportunity to rethink a huge amount of what we've done uh, up to today. I think we should try very hard uh, to articulate what it is that we think everyone by the age of 18, uh, following at least 13 years of education, what should they know and be able to do? What are the skills, qualities, experience, knowledge uh, and understanding that they ought to have in order to uh, be successful in the rest of their lives? And can we design an accountability assessment and curriculum uh, system which uh, does a better job of giving uh, all young people that than the one we have today? I think part of the key to that is thinking much harder about destinations uh, than we have yet done in the education system. We have got very focused. I run now a group which uh, includes independent schools and academies. One of the things which is overwhelmingly clear uh, in independent schools is the extent to which they focus on university destinations and A-levels as clear measures of performance as compared to the maintained system which continues to focus overwhelmingly on GCSE uh, performance. There is a moment where we could think about how we change uh, the way our accountability uh, system works. And at huge speed, that's all I wanted to say. Thank you very much.